Hey everybody, welcome to the Portsmouth Basketball Podcast. This is part two of an interview series. If you haven't heard part one yet, go back and check it out. But for those of you who are here at the right time, thank you so much for listening. Let's get into it. That is pre, is that pre, if I remember rightly, them changing the defensive rules, that hand in the face and stuff like that? Didn't they check? Because they changed it all a little bit after that, didn't they? That's why the defense now is so much different. Pretty much everyone's man on man now, aren't they? But you can't do uh, a 2-1-2 or a box and one or stuff, but you can't do that anymore, can you, in the NBA? Oh, I mean, they were definitely playing man-to-man on McGrady. Yes. And they were double-teaming. Lee, I was going to say, there was... They were doubling him up because yeah. he knew what he was going to do. And you know what? There's, there's this is uh, really there's another clip on um, on YouTube. You'll see it out there where there's these fans. You know they're leaving the game, going. You know they're in a bar, or whatever. Yeah, we lost. You know Spurs beat us, and then the next people come out and go, "What are you talking about? McGrady just hit yeah. 13 shots. Yeah. We won. You just missed the the greatest ending to a, an NBA game ever. Mm. Um, yeah. 13 points in 33 seconds. It was. There it was. 13 points in 33 seconds yeah yeah I mean that's that that's got to be up there with all time NBA plays really isn't and it and that's 33 seconds both teams right yeah 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 yeah. I'm, I'm trying to remember when I scored 13 points like in a game for about 13 seconds right. <laughs> 33 games yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah 13 points in 33 games yeah, will be, be happy with. that's like the end of the season you're like 13 points fantastic I've got on the sheet <laughs> and not on the foul sheet I've got on the actual score sheet that's impressive <laughs> I only got like four tees and God knows how many team fouls, but yeah, that thirteen points is ridiculous. Yeah, it's an, if you haven't seen it, watch it. It's an amazing clip. Who was the best three pointer shooter that the, the Furies ever had? Um, I mean, we've had some um, people who can um, who can definitely hit threes. I mean, Rokas, you know, would be up there. There's a guy called Antonio from Italy. He's fairly mm. recent. He was pretty good. Dan Goldman. Um, Dan Goldman. I mean, German Andrew. Dan. German Dan. German yeah. Dan, yeah. Andrew, you got to put in there. He's probably hit more. Uh, yeah, I was second. Andrew's probably the highest three-point scorer for the Fury. Yeah. Um, McAvoy would be close second. I mean, the only reason yeah. Andrew's probably first is because he carried on playing and Mac stopped. Games played. <clears throat> Where are you at, Steve? On your three-pointers. I always associate you with three points. The long shot. Yeah. I like a three-point shot. You like it when you're, I'm betting against like doing a shot of run. And you're like, if I get this shot in, I'm going to do a shot of run. Oh, You always liked hitting them. Well, I had to. <laughs> but was life or death. But with Steve, when, when, when he shot a three, there was a good chance it went in. But he didn't shoot threes often. No. I mean, with, with Steve, you know, I'm going to make his head get a bit bigger. But with Steve, he was really one of those players... I'd say rare players who was just a safe pair of hands who brought the ball up and you just went, that ball is getting up the court no matter who's marking him. Yep. Um, and then the play would go from there. The one also thing that I think Steve doesn't get credit for is his defence. He was oh, yeah. probably the strongest defensive player in the team, I'd say. And it, you'd get to the point where it really irritate the, the, the opposition. I mean, even to the point where if there was a, an exceptionally good player, it'd be like, right, put Steve on him. Yeah, I remember getting subbed in and I had to take your player because you'd subbed out for him a bit. Don't know why. I think they were just giving everyone a run. 
and uh, like we were talking earlier, like you know, the third quarter or something like that, coming in, we were had a bit of a cushion, and I got let on, and I had to, for some reason I had to take your man. I couldn't keep up with him at all. And when you were on the court, you were running rings around him. I mean, a bit of a I mean Steve's very fit as well. Yeah, yeah, he's right. one of the fittest oh, in the right, team, isn't okay. he? Yes. Well, that was, to be fair, that was one of the things that I thought that's something you can do something about, right? Yeah. yeah, you may definitely. not be the most talented player, you may not be the naturally most gifted player, but you can you can be fitter, and and especially when you're playing non-pro, if you're playing local leagues, there's going to be people that can be better than you but less fit than you, mm. and if you can, I'd always do that as a defensive player. If I was a defending somebody who was good, especially a good dribbler, I'd pick him up before he even had the ball I'd do him full court straight away because I'd have the speed to make if he turned and went I'd have the speed to keep up with him yeah but I thought I've got to pick this guy because I, I don't I, I never wanted somebody running at me with the ball and I'm kind of backing away and trying to that's hard it's yeah. like, to keep with someone then is hard so I was I wanted to be on them before they even got the ball denying on the ball and if they did get the ball at least you're right there and you can yeah just be annoying and be in their face and I've just thought of arguably one of your best ever moments the Ports of Fury. It was a fast break, and there was a guy defending you. Remember that? And you faked left, so you're on the right side of the basket. You fake left. This guy buys it so badly that he just falls backwards on the floor in this like in yeah. this heap. And then you just went and did a layup and just ran back. <laughs> I mean, it's difficult to build that picture, but he I was mean, a little bit. He was quite sort of uh, top heavy, should we say? Yeah. Maybe enjoyed a, a, a beer every now and then. And I think I just got him off balance and he just kind of just went down. Just went it? down, yeah. But, you know, just going back to something you said, I actually think when we went out, when we should have won that final, I actually think it's really hard local league and it's a testament to um, the strength of the leagues that we've had in Sabah um, throughout the years that it's actually genuinely really hard to win the league in the cup in mm. the same year it's extremely hard teams do do it but um, you know we've had I mean we've won the, the league and the cup individually but I think over a 35 year period sorry 34 year period the Fury have only done the double twice 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 they've only wow. done the double yeah not easy no, no it's, that's it's, not easy and as and especially with the cup the pressure comes with it because you're like, right, this is the last game. It's not just the last game. You got mm. Andrew in your ear saying, "We got to do the double." Mm. Like, it's um, it's that added pressure. Yeah. What was the favourite? Uh, I want to say the division of the fate, because even in local league, obviously there's divisions going up and down. Yeah. Did you prefer playing on one level than another? Depends what team we had. Because we sometimes we would div two strong, strong div two. We'd yeah. win it and we'd go up. And the challenge with any team is keeping your team together, isn't it? Yeah. You'd have guys coming down from uni. You'd have guys moving to the area that moved away. You'd have foreign players that would come in and then they'd go working here for a few or a season or two and then they'd go back to wherever they lived. So a few times we would win our win our league convincingly, go up. With a di and if we were a Div 1 team, really. Yeah. We should have been a Div 1 that year. Yeah. But then if we'd lost enough players... Yeah. Yep. We'd struggle in Div 1 and we come back exactly. down. That's and we've got to say it as well. Mick it? was always a challenge because he would go for our best players. So we would have yeah. a extremely strong Div 1 team. We can win the league to all of a sudden 
we've just lost our three best players because yep. they've said they'd play for Mick yep. and you can only play for one team. And, okay, we're not a contender anymore. Yeah. Oh, I mean, certainly, if you had someone for one season, um, you know, thinking um, of like Mr. Ong, for example, came and played for Fury, but went and played with Mick as well. Yeah, and he was an exceptional National League. Ended yeah. up as an exceptional National League Fantastic, player. fantastic player. But it, like, it very much a you know, Mick used that as a breeding ground. So yeah. you know, who's what you're doing, how you're doing. You know what? I just, I just remember one of my favourite Fury games. We were a Div. This is when we were in Div One, and we had five players. I don't know who we played. We had five players. We were bottom of the league, and for a laugh, we just went. No one is allowed to score until Tim Arnold has scored. Do you remember that? Tim Arnold. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Can yes. you remember that? So um, Tim is a, a guard, small. We call him the mouse. Um, we went, we're not going to score Hit some until, big threes. until he scores. Um, when we were like 20 points down, I'm like, screw this. <laughs> I'm scoring. I've got an open <laughs> layup. I'm not passing to Tim anymore. But the thing I remember about that game was at half time we're losing by 50 something really um and then i don't know what happened in the second half we just went on this little little run and we tied the game we're down by 50 and we tie the game blimey we didn't win the game but we tied the, the game tally? we tied the game i think lawrence rowe was playing for us in those days yeah, as well could have been. um yeah that was uh get the ball Lawrence he's open for a free boom done so I got a question for you what was your favourite kit Steve because the Furies oh, had quite a few kits yeah. I mean the Fury uh, we're, we're going to do we're going to do, we're gonna do two yeah like. I'm going to split that we're going to say what's the favourite colour of the kit what was the favourite kit itself because we've had lots of different shape kits some of them have been nasty <laughs> I was thinking yeah, the black kit then the white kit they the, were the originals. The, then the then then the blue kit. It was like a purpley kit, wasn't it? It's supposed to be Carolina blue, is that right? Hashtag club approach. I'm sure Andrew said yeah, Andrew said it's supposed club to be Southie. Carolina blue. It, it was more like uh, royal blue, wasn't it? It was the yeah, was it, deeper blue. The yeah. deeper blue. It was almost like I remember that it was really one. Hard material, wasn't the, it? The spacing they got on my surname, and it had. Instead of saying Williams, there was a gap between the second I and the A. So it just said Willie Ams. And there was like the, wow. the spacing. That's not deliberate, is it? Wow. They just, they're just making fun of me now, aren't they? Will I Am. That was the birth of Will I Am. The, uh, oh, yes. Wow. They often you will I am often look will at I am me was. and say, is Will I Am in Portsmouth? What's Maybe he doing? There was a picture and he saw that and went, good idea. Good idea. He must split my name out. Yes. <laughs> but I can remember some of those kits. You couldn't even get them off the blue like, one was scratchy it was like wearing a bloody straight jacket you come to pull it off and it was like oh so the best I, I think the best kit we ever had you had that white nike kit it was a nike one that as angie went and bought a whole nike kit yeah. to get it printed yeah, yeah that was, that was a nice one. one the black one the it was a nike kit as well wasn't it yeah and it yeah, was the black was one right. had the black shorts and it was the black with the what uh the silver the, the red yeah yeah that one there's a, there was another kit that I went to get. That one afterwards went to orange. 
but it was your orange no, kit. No, no, that is exactly what I was going to say. It's not orange. So, again, I went to buy a, a kit from, from Rising Ballers when E-Man was around. Mm. And um, I said, Chicago Balls Red. We want Chicago Balls Red. And if that's a nice kit, we're going for like Carolina Blue. And it turned up. And I was like, that does not look like Chicago Balls Red. You've that looks tangled. like orange. <laughs> and it really used to irritate me on the score book. We'd write Fury, Red, other team, whatever. And um, the refs will always, usually at the start of a game, go maybe Fury that way or whatever that way. But sometimes they'll say the colour and the ref always goes, oranges that way. I'm like, ref, it's red. Chicago pulls red. And he's like, all right. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't want to not throw you under a bus here, but maybe a little known fact about you is you are, in fact, a bit colourblind. Well, I'm, a, I'm totally colourblind. And even to me, it wasn't red. <laughs> no, well, <laughs> I didn't tell them a colour. I said Chicago Bulls red. Mm. That was the... I know, the, but you the, had no way of checking it. No. <laughs> Maybe there's a local team in China called the Chicago Bulls that play in orange. Well, uh, well it's, it's, it's got to be something. It, but I didn't it, get the Carolina blue kit in the I end. Mean, I know Andy liked it because Orlando have an orange bit and they actually have an orange kit a few seasons ago, I think, as well. But yeah, I mean... There's another orange kit we've got that's actually in my loft. So when... When Eman with the Rising Ballers, he's gone and lived out in Norway. 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 And um, he was getting rid of, he had this huge barbecue, getting rid of all this stuff. And there was a bag there full of a, a, a kit, an orange kit with a white stripe down the side, like orange in, like an orange, or like what you would eat color. Like that ball over there. Yeah. Like a basketball, yeah. So I said to him, you sell in a whole kit and he goes yeah the only thing wrong with it this is his words the only thing wrong with it is there is one kit that doesn't have a pair of shorts so there's 12 tops 11 shorts no problem uh, and I was like no problem at all so I bought the kit for 50 pounds next time the Fury had a game it was like okay let's put this kit on do you know the kit I'm talking about uh, I think so so for the listeners out there the the color of the sorry the size of the smallest kit is like extra 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 large oh yeah so it's just absolutely a huge kit isn't it mm. so it's uh, it's one that's coming way below your knees um beautiful you know it's just it's basically for people's shack size and bigger yeah <laughs> it's still in the loft and if ever get to a point i always say to andrew he goes oh we're struggling for kits i'm like got the orange kit andrew we can always wear that no see, problems. See, I liked the black one as well because it was, it was like thin. Because the blue one before had the wide sleeves. Yeah. And it kind of restrictive. It well, it looked like a wife beater. It sort of came out here somewhere, like you had shoulder pads going on. Mm. And then again, it, a bit scratchy. You know why? Because those early kits were made. You couldn't buy basketball kits in those days, so they were made by a guy in North End who used to make the kits for it's American rough. football. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Oh, that's why the material That's why like the material that. is yeah, so rough. Cause, yeah, because that makes sense now, because it was exactly the same as yeah, the yeah. Airtex kind of... <sighs> yeah, so it's really durable. Never you can that. pull it. You can't stretch it. Like You can't do anything no. with it. It's just rigid. And he's like, yeah, I'll do your kit, guys, yeah. <laughs> was that the blue one or the white one before it as well? Both, I think. Yeah, because I remember the white one had those stills. Yeah. I remember Dave Henderson. Nick my best to play a game. Did he? Yeah, never got it back. 
Wow. I've got the shorts. I've got the. Sh- I can't find the vest. And yeah, I remember he borrowed it. Those original Fury kits. I don't think they're something you wear out now. Maybe the white one and the black one, but all the ones before that, those like mesh tops were just. I mean, I wore it out. I'm not saying it was a good look, but I did wear it. <laughs> 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 I mean, yeah, it says a lot if you're walking around in a basketball vest. It's gonna be bold these days. I'm sure. Um, what was his name? Matt Gloin. Do you remember Matt Gloin? Yeah. He was walking down the beach one day in the summer and there's a kid with his Fury jersey on. <laughs> and he went up to him and said, where'd you get that? And the guy's like, oh, I, was, I just found it in the gym or something. And he said, that's my top. That's literally my jersey. And I think the kid did give it back to him. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know if he took it off after a game and just left it at PGS and wow, or maybe at Fratton or somewhere and, yeah, and someone just picked it up. But yeah, he was like, kid walked past me on the seafront with my jersey on today. Yeah, you know He what? was a springy guy, wasn't he? Mm. Yeah. He was springy. He was step. quite an explosive player, wasn't he? Yeah. It, there's, um, there's quite a few examples where you, you see pictures of people and you think, hang on, they got a they got a bloody fury top on and they're in like Hong Kong. You're like, who is that mm. guy with a fury top on? Or, I mean, we should keep track of where we see these fury tops. I do think there is a um, a team in the States as well who have blatantly like stolen the logo. Really? The one we're using now. Yeah, 100%. There's, and they've got Call men out. and women's teams. Um, and they've they're literally copied the way we've got our logo. Like the way it is now, mm. um, so it could be hearing from our lawyers, then, yeah. If we've got lawyers, yeah, men we've got women. lawyers. Met, but yeah, but Fury doesn't have a men and women's team. Well, they've got this this Fury team. I mean, look it up online, you'll Kestr- see it. Kestrels do, don't they? <sighs> Every bloody week he Every brings week. the Kestrel the Kestrels up, <laughs> just to see your face drop with anger. I just wish the Fury beat them. We never got over that hurdle, did we? No, nah, good team, weren't they? I mean, this is when the Teasdales, that's, that's the one we went up against, when the Teasdale mm. brothers were were the, were the Solent Kestrels. I remember once, we it felt like we got over that hurdle once, and we were, I think we were up by one point, and it was like 10 seconds left, and we had the ball, and there, I had a mismatch. The guy marking me shouldn't have been marking me. And Andrew called a timeout and said, get, pull the ball, keep it down low, have the last shot, game over. And then Lawrence inbounded the ball, gave it to Craig Dawson. Craig Dawson shot free throw, uh, well, ran by the free throw line, just put it up straight away, jump shot, missed. They got the ball, went down the end, scored. Damn. Game. That was the closest we got. You're not bitter. Yeah, I am. Just, it's just, you know. Well, when Craig listens to this, he can. What's that? He'll come on. We'll talk about him. Were they, the, you know, were they the number one? You know, I would say the antagonist for the Fury, but there wasn't a direct because the the one thing about the Fury is that it's been going for so long. You know, like you said, he'd be really proud of that. Mm. But there's been lots of teams that have come and gone in that period of time. And obviously the links move and you've gone up and down, etc. How many people are still playing that were in those? I know Fury is the oldest team easily. Yeah. Easily. We entered the league 
the Sabre League, and then it was the following year Mick brought the Smugglers in. Yep. Um, and the, obviously the Smugglers gone back and forth from, from the Navy, but other than that, um, you know, Bournemouth, Bears, they were in it for like 20 odd years. They've left the league now. So Fury, by far, were the oldest team in Solent League. Easily. Thanks to Andrew. Yeah. And I think you always need that one person in the club, like Mick Byrne, like Andrew. Yeah, you do. Or Jimmy, yep. Jimmy Guyman. You know, who's that? Or Rob Milner, that unsung yep. hero who's yeah, doing do. all that work. Mm, and yep. um, Who often puts their own money in to keep it going. You yep. know, who's yeah. <clears throat> arranges the courts and the refs and the... Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you said that because I remember one season, Mick telling me and going through the finances of how, how much he pays... Yeah. Um, for the thing and he was like look this guy hasn't paid me because the players had to pay and like 10 years ago we had to pay Mick like oh it wasn't much it was like £50 a month so it's pretty pretty it was pretty reasonable but um, yeah some players wouldn't do it and then Mick was coming out like, a ref is £80 sometimes you got two refs and then your court fees well you got to pay for that court for what three hours maybe four hours to, yeah, to make watching. sure you've got it if you've got um, fans coming to watch you play, you've got a crowd, right? you've got to buy a double court because you've got to put the bleachers down one side. So, you know, a home game can cost a lot of money. Mm. Um, definitely, you know, those last couple of things. I remember Mick telling me, it's like, you know, that's some of the stuff, unsung things that, you know, he, he did just out of his own pocket. Oh, people don't think about it. As a player, you don't think about it. As a player, you're so focused on yourself that you turn up and if you don't you know if, if the coach don't play you just sit there sulking yeah and walk off and you don't think what did it take to put this even, what did it take to even put this game on yeah and who's doing that who's doing that every week who's and I you mean, only think that when you do it right it's like anything in life like unless you've actually done it yourself and all of the the games that get rescheduled because there's yeah. always at least one or two games that get rescheduled. Yeah. And going back in the day, you had to go and find the refs. So you had to phone around and get referees. You know, yeah, I think Andrew does a Well, without Andrew, there is no force for Fury. He would have so much, out. He put so stopped. much effort into it. So yeah. I think it's a testament to him that it's it's going into its 34th year. Yeah. I think it would have stopped about 10 years ago. Pre-COVID, for probably a few years pre-COVID, I think it might have died without him. Yeah. I mean, the Fury are now going into uh, local league Div 1 and we're getting some fairly decent players. Hopefully, we're going to get some of the um, university players. And if we do, you know, maybe we'll give Handball, they're the main team at the moment, give Handball, see if we can give them a run and we'll, let's, you know, see what happens. Mm. Nice. I mean, you can see it go in waves over the years, can't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a great team and then you struggle for players and people move away and this and that. And I can remember, I can remember really at a certain point really struggling to even get a team out. And I remember ringing Andy and saying, is this it? We haven't got enough players. You know, everybody's, people have moved away and blah, blah, And um, there's a guy called Jason Wong. I don't know if you remember him. Oh, yeah, Jason, yeah. And he, Andy and I laughed and said he saved the Fury at a certain point. Remember there's that famous story about Alex Ferguson. Is it Mark Robbins? 
scores a goal or something. Do you remember he was? I think Fergie was probably going to lose his job, and as one of the players, when he was, in, what do you say, been managing Man United for a little while, not that long, and the results weren't great. And then I think Mark Robbins or someone, I can't remember the player's name, scores a goal, and I think they win the game. And years later, Fergie said, "I'm pretty sure if we had lost that game, I would have been sacked as manager of Man United." He saved him. And he's like, you know, they went on to be probably the greatest manager, English manager, manager in England of all time. Um, and we laugh and say that about Jason because I remember at a certain point we couldn't field a team even. And then Jason suddenly turned up out of nowhere. We're like, mate, can you play tomorrow? He's like, yeah. I'm like, cool, you're in. Yeah, no, I, I remember those days actually. Yeah, Jason playing. And I now, I mean, how many people have practiced now? Oh, we've had like 26 turn up. To yeah, loads. So... It's really flourishing at the moment. Yeah, so I think, you know, let's see what happens moving forward. But yeah, it's it's, it's looking optimistic. And I think if Fury can ride that that wave that's coming with the Portsmouth Force as well, that will mm. be quite beneficial. Mm. So that was going to be my question. When you mentioned with Mick being uh, looking at some of the Fury players over the years and borrowing some and uh, coercing some across, do you think the Force will do the same with the Fury? I don't think it makes a difference because they're national league, we're local league, so it, it would it would only come to a, like a clash if they there was a, a stance from from national league where they say we don't want you playing local league basketball. So oh, okay. as long as they were happy with that, you know, we're fine. But um, I mean, I think that's a good little overview of the Fury, isn't it? Mm. Um, one thing I I did want to ask continue. Steve. Yeah, yeah, fingers crossed. But um. I think it will all the time, Andy's keeping it going. It's going to go. Yeah, and at some point, we'll, I guess, need a, a young guy to take over. Maybe Morgan Brown. He's the up-and-coming player, isn't he? Mm. Um, but one thing, what we've got Steve on here, Mark, that I just wanted to ask him, um, you know, Steve will go into more detail, but for those of you who, who don't know Steve, you know, go to steveware.com. Steve Ware Mindfulness. Steve Ware Mindful just not got the com. So Steve, um, I mean, I'll let him tell the story, but Steve is doing a lot about mindfulness at, at the moment and just want to kind of focus on that for a little bit because when you talk about mindfulness and basketball, they can really go together. They can. I'm one of the guys I looked up um, when I first looked into mine because I, I mean, my mindfulness story really quickly I had no desire to practice mindfulness. I mean, like, I didn't even know what mindfulness is. Meditation sounded really crap and boring. And um, But when I was going through a period of sort of high stress at work and my sleep got bad and anxiety was high and everything else, I needed something to, to kind of help me relax and sleep again and feel all right again. And I remember someone at work saying to me, why don't you try mindfulness? I've seen something about it. It's like, the science is unbelievable. And I said, I'm not trying that crap. That's like... That's for weirdos. But I downloaded an app and I tried it just kind of secretly on my own and it was, well, life-changing. It, it helped me to sleep better, helped me to feel less anxious. Blah, blah, blah. So anyway, long story short, I ended up leaving, um, well, when I lost my job at IBM, I set up my own company to teach people what I'd learned, ways of reducing stress, ways of optimizing your well-being, ways of quieting your mind. And that spans everything, right? That's not just about in work, that's about at home, that's about on a basketball court. And I think LeBron, I saw LeBron James, he's partnered with a company called Calm, I think. So there's loads of different apps you can get on uh, 
on your phone right if anyone listens to this thinks i'm a, i'm stressed out i'm a bad sleeper i'm i'm anxious a lot, a lot of time there's loads of apps there's loads of guided meditations and stuff you can listen to headspace is a really famous one um one of the other ones is called calm and i think they've got a whole lebron james series on there where he actually talks about this and, and says how he uses mindfulness in games but it goes back way earlier than lebron so there's a guy called george mumford who's written a book on it and he was the guy they brought in to work with phil jackson the bulls the lakers you know people like jordan shack um and one of the funny stories they said so that so they were looking i think even back then so this is the 90s they were looking at ways every way they could to optimize the performance of athletes right because in the nba marginal gains is everything yeah. you can improve a player by half a percent we're doing it and so they started looking at the mental side of things and they were like how can we keep people calm under pressure how can we how can we keep people in the flow state they call it so a state in in sport which is highly desirable is called flow and flow is when you're on the court and you're performing at a very high level and you're not thinking about a single thing so your thinking mind is completely still anyone can relate to this anyone who's been through a tough time in their life um and if they can never say to somebody i feel awful or i'm having a really tough time or my my missus broke up me or whatever but you know what when i go to basketball practice i feel okay yeah you do for that for that for that hour right when you're running up and down the court you feel okay you switch off don't you right why because you're thinking mine's inactive you can extend that to any sport why is paul gascoigne completely at peace when he was playing football why was paul merson fine when he was playing tony adams all these players that have tr very troubled off the pitch taking drugs and drinking and everything else when they're performing and when they're playing their sport their mind is very still because they're just they instinctively know that to perform at a high level their mind has to be still if you start thinking on a basketball court the ball's gone if you start worrying about your problems on a basketball court the ball's gone so the americans knew this in the 90s it's, it's not secret at all so and, and but one of the leading guys in america on mindfulness back then was a white guy in boston a guy called john kabazin brilliant meditation teacher but they, they basically said and john tells a story he says well they wanted to bring me into the nba well, i was saying to him look the guys aren't gonna be able to relate to me i'm a white guy with a pretty privileged background not wasn't rich or anything but it's very middle class boston um he's like i don't think i'm gonna be able to talk the language of these guys they need someone they can relate to that can speak their language and they found this guy george monford who grew up in the hood who had a really tough upbringing suffered loads you could go in and say to them look guys i've lived in the same area as you have i know how it feels but guess what this really helps me this really really helps me if you're open to it i'll show you and yeah a lot of success i mean phil jackson was really on board with it he phil jackson thought that would really give them an edge and it's it really is for the critical moments in games where you need players to be to have that extra peak performance where they have to have a mind that is optimal for that situation and you'll see lebron doing it right there'd be plenty of clips of lebron sitting on a bench or before he's going to do a free throw and he'll close his eyes and just kind of breathe in and you see he's just still in yeah. his mind because he knows this is a big moment and he knows that his mind needs to be quiet if he's going to perform really well so i find all that stuff fascinating because this yeah you know mindfulness people think of mindfulness is, is for buddhists it's for weirdos it's for tree huggers it's for everybody if you like um 
And everybody does it, right? Everybody's had moments of mindfulness. Moments of mindfulness is when you feel brilliant on holiday, when you're lying on the beach and just for two seconds, you just go, ah, wow, that's mindfulness. Yeah. Everybody wants it and everybody wants more of it. And it also translates into sport because like I say, flow state is the optimal state for a sports person. And there's a famous clip of Jordan where he's playing and he's, you know, the commentators would describe him as almost unconscious. He's like, he's, the basket seems like 50 feet wide, the ball's tiny, he can't miss. And at a certain point, he turns to the commentators who are at half court and he just shrugs. Oh, yeah. That Remember one. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, and he just looks at him and just goes, I don't know. It's just easy. I don't know. That's perfect flow. Yeah. So perfect flow is, it doesn't mean that you could take someone who meditates and put them in the NBA just because they, they've got a quiet mind. They're going to be, you know, you've got to do the practice, obviously. You've got to be a great player. But what separates a great player under pressure performing really well and a great player under pressure choking might be, one of the things might be how quiet their mind is and how still they are in, in that high intensely pressured moment. Yeah, it's pressure, isn't it? It's that. That I always used to, th- I always used to think coming on as a sub national league, you get the ball and there was so much more pressure on that shot. Yeah. As I'm shooting it, I'm thinking, this has to go in or there I'm going to get subbed off. As soon as you said that sentence, as soon as I shoot it, I'm thinking. That's yeah. If you're thinking anything, got to unless you're thinking this is going in, that's a better thought. Yeah. But to be honest, no thought and just being in a flow state is optimal. Yeah. And. Yeah, that's why. I mean, it's all mind games, isn't it? If someone's got big free throws, they'll try and delay it. Penalty shootouts in football, they'll try and delay it because they want people's thinking minds to come in. They want that. They want the voice in the head to come in and go, "My God, there might be ten million people watching this all around the world. It's a World Cup final. Holy crap! I've got, I've got scores. I've got scores. Nerves. You know, legs go to jelly. So, with a flow state, there must be a start and an end because you wouldn't be in it perpetually yeah and like anything and anything in life uh, you can have too much of a good thing so to speak so would you uh, for say a basketball player would you think uh they want to start that at the beginning of a game and end it at the end of a game if you know if it was as simple as that so to speak or is it something that and what so they switch on and off? I'm just trying to understand. Is it, is it a sort of a place that they get to? So they have to build up to it when, think, they, when they have this flow state. I think most pro athletes will probably you probably wouldn't get to a top, you wouldn't get to a world class sporting level no. without being in flow state a lot. And whether or not they call it flow state doesn't matter. Whether or not they even call it mindfulness doesn't matter. Most people wouldn't call it that. Like a like a boxer can be, you know, you chat to them and they're absolutely fine, and then it's ring day then they go in the ring and it's like kind of a shark the eyes come over the eyes are down let's go mm. and then they're like I don't care who that is that's my opponent and then bell goes at the end they're out of it again yeah and you know and there's plenty of other things right I'm not saying that, mindf- that mindfulness is the be all and end all because there's lots of you could do sort of positive visualisations yeah you know where you, you imagine yourself already winning what you're about to do seeing that pointing your mind and body in that direction so to speak before it's even happened you're more likely to succeed if you're in that state than if the two days before a big final you're thinking holy cow this is a big final are we going to win this are we good enough you know you're already kind of shrinking into yourself and 
Whereas if you're vis if you're able to positively visualize, we've got this. We've won it already. I'm gonna. It's not about being overconfident and over cock and cocky. It's about being sure of your ability, not doubting yourself, and not having that voice in the head that tells you this is a big deal and you've got to do this. And but when you have the the Kobe's and the Jordans, and it's the final shot, someone's inbounding, they're getting the shot off. They're not thinking, please give me the ball. They're like, I am getting the ball. Oh yeah. They're not. They're not thinking. Oh, hopefully the ball's coming to me. They, they're at that level where the ball is going to them. Well, the other thing those guys can both deal with, or you know, obviously Kobe's not alive anymore. But what he could deal with, and what Jordan's spoken about a lot, is he can deal with failure. But they wanted that shot. They wanted yeah. that opportunity to take that last shot because a lot of people would be like, I'd love to be the the hero. But when it comes down to it, if someone went, here's the ball, you've got one second to make this shot and we win a championship or not, a lot of people would just go ah, and crumble. And oh, get, yeah, totally. get the old Reggie Mirror. Yeah. Sort of and how many, how many shots has Jordan missed? I mean, there'll be stats on the web if you Google it. Oh, he, oh tons. He's, he's missed tons he's of shots, missed isn't he? Of shots. He's, missed like buzzer, he's missed buzzer beaters. He's missed game-winning shots. He's missed... It's, it's it. a famous quote. It's like yeah. 9,000. No one talks about the 9,000. Exactly, yeah. So, like so to no one's... That's what sets another world-class athlete apart is the mental resilience. Because you're right, a lot of people would, they're fine if they're hitting their shots and yeah. they're performing well. It's when they go through a sticky patch. Again, how much does that voice come in your head that's like, oh, I was a fraud all along. They found me out now. Maybe I'm not as good as I used to be. Maybe or, someone else is better than me now. Or injury. Yeah. Because, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. you, we, we all see it with the players and they come back. And they're just not that player they were. Yeah. Mark, I think this could be a, a, a whole episode on this. Oh, yeah, you could totally do a whole episode on that, 100%. Sports psychology 100%. is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. The, 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 you know, who, who, I mean, if you could throw the ball to any any player in history and say, that's that's my one shot, they've got to hit that buzzer beater, who's it going to be? Who would, it, who would it be for you? Jordan, I think. Is there anyone else that you ever throw the ball to? I think, honestly. I mean, I'd give it to Larry Bird as well. <laughs> I was shocked you didn't say Larry Bird the first time. Yeah. I know you love him. Oh, you let Larry have a go. <laughs> yeah. Hang on, where, go where, if where, if it's a layup, like, I'll do it. <laughs> really? Wow, like, that's what? Bold. Really? Your arm. Because <laughs> well, do you know what? Even in other sports, there's a people <laughs> listening to this might not might not follow snooker. Snooker was big when I was a kid, right? Snooker was big in the probably back in the nineties again. There used to be players like Steve Davis. Um, you know, it, it was is. big on TV. Yeah, I don't know. It's not really as big anymore. But anyway, there was one very famous final, right? When I was a kid, I said to my dad, can I stay up and watch it? He's like, no, you got to, go, you got to school tomorrow. Go to bed. And it came down. It was a Sunday night and it came down to the last ball in the last frame. Back black ball to win it. And Steve Davis was playing an Irish player called Dennis Taylor. Steve Davis, brilliant player, arguably certainly one of the greatest ever. And Taylor, I think Taylor was first and he missed the black. Steve Davis comes up and he pots that a hundred times out of a hundred. I could pot it eight times out of ten. I don't even play snooker that much. And he gets he comes out and he misses it. And I think I may have this wrong, but I think Dennis Taylor then comes back and misses it. Steve Davis <laughs> comes back, misses it. Of oh course. Dennis Taylor comes back, pots it and wins. 
And years later, I've watched it last year, year before, they talked to Steve Davis about it and they said, what happened? Because it, Steve Davis is famous for being, for being so cool, right? This, this is a guy that would just have a sleep between sessions. Like he's playing in the world final and there's millions of people watching on TV. You're just going to have a nap. But he said on that day, he said it was one of the few times that nerves got to him. And he said, I started thinking about the shot. So I'm walking up to the table and he said, as soon as I started thinking, he said, I couldn't even feel my legs anymore because I knew there was like 10 million people watching this, 20 million people watching this, however many, it's a big deal. And he said, I was so nervous. I'm surprised I could even hold the cue and even just take the shot. But he said, it was one of the few times in my career where I just started thinking and he lost the game. Wow. And you're saying you could have played that? Not in those conditions. I out of ten. Oh, I'm, hey, listen, you said hey, if you no take one's that watching, layout. if no one's watching in Southsea Snooker Club, I can hit it. <laughs> and if no one's defending me, is anyone defending me when I take that shot? We're talking about like a championship winning game. Oh. The shot. Yeah, like I, the I shot. thought it was just like an open layup. You're talking about, yeah. But if it's a ch in a in a game, yeah, I'd probably say Michael Jordan. <laughs> I did think for a brief it, moment it could be a Kobe it could Bryant. be a layup. It could be a co it could be a, a layup. It could be a, it doesn't have to be a three. But it's who are you giving the clutch shot yeah, to? Yeah, I think most people are gonna say Jordan. In the back of, initially I thought Kobe, but Jordan's gotta be, isn't it? Pretty much. I, I, I think it's the benchmark, isn't it? There's, there's very few players that I guess it depends on the shot. Though, isn't all right, it? we're gonna open this up now. We're gonna ask every person who comes on who's the greatest of all time. Steve, who's your greatest of all time? Head or heart? Both. Head. Jordan. Heart. Larry Bird. Great answers. There you go. Great answers. Who's your top five? Who's your top five starting five? Yeah, you're starting five. Your ultimate starting five. God, that's hard. This is it. This is the one to wrap up on. Nice basketball one. To wrap up. Wrap up. Your Steve, five. are you going to put any Portsmouth FC basketball players in this Ooh. top five? No. <laughs> I'm going to probably... You, oh. See, you go with the era you're familiar with. That's a problem with this, isn't it? A lot of people would say Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell in the middle. You could have Shaq in the middle or something. I'd have Shaq in the middle all day. He's got to be the most dominant player has ever played, surely. Well, people that watch Wilt or Bill Russell would say he was. But I mean, look, they, they were great. Don't get me wrong, but if I'm running up a court and I've got, yeah, I'll I've probably got take Shaq, Shaq in the middle. <laughs> I've got Shaq. Well, we got Shaq. Me. Then we obviously got Jordan. We've obviously got Larry. Who got a guard? Magic. This is your five, Steve. It's not our five. I think I'm going Shaq, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Kobe, Magic. There you go. Quite guard heavy. Yeah. Are you having a six man? It is guard heavy, isn't it? <laughs> Need another big man, really. I mean, Larry used to be forward. Small He's forward. He's 6'9", isn't he? I mean, Magic's 6'9". Shaq's seven feet. What was Kobe? What was Kobe? 6'6", six, six, wasn't he? Yeah. Not a small team, but they're not. Yeah. What, what would your favourite... Portsmouth maybe. Colin Irish I think most people are going to say Colin Irish or maybe Alan Cunningham I guess mm. Colin Irish for me 
the threes. He was the kind of flamboyant player. He had a lot of personality. He was fun. It's kind of player you'd pay, you'd happily pay to watch. Kind of even got a lot of noise because of the was he a hex ex globetrotter or something at one point? I, uh, thought he was. I don't know. Actually, former, yeah, I'm I think sure he I've was. heard them say the former Harlem Globetrotter Alan. But Colin Irish was always my. That's why I wore 14 for the Fury. Yeah, no, I remember. I I always liked um, Steve Nelson. Bambi. And I, I remember going up to him at, uh, to the hoop camp, and I had my basketball at the time, and he thought I was going to ask him to sign it. And I was, I was like, Steve, Steve, He's like, yeah, can can you just touch my basketball, please? And he was like, What? Do you want me to sign it? I went, No, no, just touch it. <laughs> and he went, Why do you want me to touch it? I went, Well, I'm just like hoping if you touch it, I'll, I'll be able to play like you. And I remember it, he gave my ball a big cuddle and he goes, look, and he was like kind of like touching every part of the ball and he goes, look, I'm hope, I hope this magic comes off and I'm like, cheers, thanks, Steve. <laughs> but that made my day. Um, well, Steve, you know, thanks for coming back on. To my the pleasure. Pod. And, you know, yeah, maybe in the future we'll get Steve on again, especially we can talk about the, the whole psychology of basketball and sports science and mindfulness and we stuff like that we need to do more more than just a three-way next time have a few more S see if we can get my brother on here he's his get nickname is the cat see if we can get the cat on here the cat would be awesome guest yeah to a, a duet so to speak yeah a tete -tete. Well, i mean we'd have two of the three co-founders of the fury mm -hmm. um be interesting to hear how it's from where it's gone to where it's going I mean, Mark, I'm just thinking, because Steve has taken his shot. Yep. Are you going to take a shot today? I did earlier. You missed it. Yeah, or live on the podcast. Live on Steve the podcast. Steve said there's pressure. Yeah. So are I, you going to take your shot? I think you shots? commentate, Paul. I'm going to be ball boy. Are we yeah. going to give him three shots? Yeah, exactly the same. Give me three. All right. Give me three. Let's go. Right, hang on. Um, oh. I think it's this one. This, this could go badly. So here we go. And now... Taking his shot on the Portsmouth Basketball Podcast is Mark Chester. So Mark is lining up 20 feet away from this basket. He is taking the shot. He's taking his time. He's doing a couple of dribbles here. Like, folks, I can't, I can't underestimate how, how much of an air ball that shot was. Oh, he's... He's rushed the second. It's short. It's really short by an arm's length. And that's the third air ball. I mean, you, you the Stevie Ware bonus shot, you airballed it. I mean, you don't, you've just insulted Steve live on a podcast. Listen, why don't you get up and do it? Well, we'll do wow. it. On, we'll do it on another show, Mark. Yeah, we'll do it on another show when when, we're, attempts, when we haven't yeah. got a guest. I mean, you know, time and Throw stuff up more like that. More bricks than flipping bovis, mate. <laughs> I mean, what I will do, I, I I apologize for not doing it last time. So this time we can end the show officially with the song that me and Mark made for Steve. I mean, how many years did we do this, Mark? Twenty odd years ago. Uh, I had hair. Wow, I mean, I want to say 20-odd years ago. Um, how do I get my phone on, on the device? Well, you don't have to. You can just do it this way instead. 
Here is the Stevie Ware song. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you all for listening.